Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Hey, good afternoon. Jason Vanderveer here with you on Calvary Live. Thanks so much for tuning in, all our Grace FM listeners in Colorado and Wyoming. And then, of course, uh, all our listeners in the South, Truth FM, Kentucky, North Carolina, Tennessee, and in the Northeast, Hope FM, Maryland, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. Welcome to all of you. This is Calvary Live. It's uh, the show where we take your calls, uh, your prayer requests, your questions uh, about the Bible and about Christianity. There's one number that you can call no matter where you're listening. Uh, We'll get you through. Now is a particularly good time to call early on in the show. The lines uh, tend to be a little bit more open. You can dial 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. That number will get you through and onto the program here. If you prefer to text, 720-336-0897. is the text number. Give me a short uh, one-sentence text uh, if you can, your prayer request uh, or your question. We'll do our best to uh, answer some of those on the program as well as time permits. Um, and uh, even if we can't get to all of those on the program, uh, we will make sure to answer those off of the air uh, as well, uh, or uh, or if we're not able to uh, get to them on the program. But anyway, I'd love to rather talk to you on the program. I'd love to hear your voice and get a little bit more insight into your question or your prayer request, and the best way to do that is is really uh, in conversation. 303 690 3,000. Again, I'm Jason Vandeveer, and I'm hosting the program this afternoon. It's my privilege to be with you. I'm the pastor of Calvary Chapel in Parker, Colorado, and you can get uh, additional information, including service times at calvarychapelparker.com. You can join us as soon as tonight, 7 o'clock, as we continue midweek uh, in our midweek service, 2 Samuel chapters 5 and 6, a message titled Breakout or Outbreak, uh, looking at the life of David. But uh, let's go right to our phone lines. We've got a call from Denver, Liz. Liz, welcome to the program. Hi, Liz, are you there? Do we have Liz? I don't know if we've got Liz. We'll try and get Liz. Uh, I'm not uh, I'm not hearing her, so we're not getting her through. Either we, we lost her, but we'll try to get Liz or uh, see if we can figure out uh, uh, what exactly uh, uh, Liz's question is. But 303-690-3000 is the number uh, to call if you want to join us here on Calvary Live. And do we have, uh, do we have Liz? Anyway, Liz, uh, hopefully uh, we're just working on... Oh, let's try Liz again. Hello, Liz. (laughs) Anyway, uh, I think we're trying to get Liz connected, and we're having some technical uh, issues with that. Oh, there we are. I can hear you now, Liz. How are you doing? You can hear me now. Yay! Yay. This is is a win. Welcome, (laughs) Welcome to the show. Okay. 
So I was told I didn't listen yesterday, so the question I have is kind of a repeat, I guess, from yesterday. Okay. Is Melchizedek a Christophany? Okay. Well, because he, we went over it, our Bible study group yesterday, right. and it was kind of back and forth based on Hebrews and Genesis. Well, here's the thing. Um, I didn't uh, listen to the show yesterday either, uh, so uh, hopefully what I'm going to say is, uh, while it should be in line, uh, we should all be saying the same thing if we're, if we're sharing uh, the truth of the Bible. Uh, maybe it'll have a little bit of additional uh, information or different uh, information that might uh, help those who listened yesterday. But let's uh, start in Genesis chapter 14, of course, uh, where we're, we're introduced uh, to this, uh, this character, uh, Melchizedek, around about uh, verse 18. Of course, he encounters Abram. Who will later be changed? His name will be changed to to Abraham. And uh, in verse 20, uh, 18, actually, uh, we see Melchizedek, king of Salem. So he's the king of the ancient uh, area of Jerusalem. Uh, he comes out to to Abraham and and he brings out bread and wine. He's a priest of God Most High. So he's a king and a priest, which you probably king discussed. Yeah, you discussed in your study, and uh, yeah. and and so he blessed him, and he he blesses Abraham, and blesses be uh, Abraham of God Most High, possess, uh, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand, and he gave him a tithe uh, of yeah. all. So it's a this is a this is really a a, a fundamental passage when you uh, consider Psalm one ten verse four. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we can take a look at that Hebrews chapter five. Uh, verse 10, uh, Hebrews chapter 7 uh, as seven. well. Yep, except chapter 7, uh, uh, verses 2 and 4 there. So he's he's the king and priest of Salem, ancient Jerusalem peace, um, likely an early name, uh, as I mentioned, for Jerusalem. He comes, they break bread, uh, and, and then uh, uh, he blesses Abraham. Abraham then interestingly gives him a tithe uh, of the spoil that he had taken uh, from the kings when he went to to rescue Lot, right? And so yeah, when he, he went to exactly, and he gives that tithe as an offering to God because remember he's not just the king of Salem as we just mentioned; he's also the priest of of God Most High. So now all and that Hebrews calls him a high priest. Exactly. So so now of a different order, not a high priest according to the order of Aaron. But Jesus Christ, uh, Hebrews tells us, is high priest uh, according to the order of Melchizedek. So we get to yeah. to the 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 root of your question: Who was Melchizedek? He he was a man uh, because you notice how he refers to God. Uh, if you look at it, mm-hmm. at how he refers to God, he appears to be a man. However, uh, he is a type. I would suggest to you that he is a type. Of Jesus Christ. So if we if we look over at uh, Psalm one ten, uh, verse four, uh, just taking a look there. Uh, let me get there in my Bible, and uh, hopefully our listeners and everybody else can get there. But if we go to the hundred and tenth Psalm, uh, the the fourth verse, it says this. It says, uh, "The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek." So, so yeah. Melchizedek had a priesthood. He was a priest uh, of God. And as I said, if you go to, uh, we see that again in Hebrews chapter 5. There's a, actually a surprising uh, amount of information uh, when you look at that uh, 
in, uh, in chapter 7 as well. Um, but uh, he quotes it, the author of Hebrews does, quotes that passage. Of course, Psalm 110, they're messianic, and it's confirmed for us in Hebrews 5, verse 10, called by God as a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. So I would suggest to you that he's not necessarily a Christophany or a Theophany, uh, but that he is a type of Jesus Christ. His name means, uh, uh, it's a combination of two words, uh, Melech and Zedek, which means uh, king of righteousness. Uh, yes. And so there's a lot of typology, uh, but there is no indication that he is uh, uh, supernatural. There, it, it, there's allusions to it, um, of course, in the New Testament talks about uh, how there's no mention of his father or mother, uh, which would no be a genealogy. Exactly, which would be a picture of divinity. No mention of birth or and death. And no birth, no end. Yep, exactly. So no, no end to him. Yeah. So the point of Hebrews, when it when it brings up Melchizedek, it's arguing, by the way, in that section, the superiority of Christ to the law. And so it's pointing out the superiority of Christ's priesthood to the Levitical priesthood. And in fact, that the Levitical priesthood paid tithes to Melchizedek through Abraham, who it says was in the, uh, the, the Levitical priesthood, being really in the DNA of Abraham, right? So the priesthood yeah. of Christ is superior to Aaron's because it is eternal. That said, I would say that Melchizedek, to kind of boil all that down, Melchizedek is a type of Christ, of which there are several uh, in the Old Testament, but there is no indication uh, that he is necessarily a Christophany or a Theophany. It's possible that he was, uh, but there is nothing definitive that tells us uh, that he is more than a type. So we need to ask him when we get to heaven. Yeah, you can ask him, hey, uh, listen, uh, were you just a regular guy? Or <laughs> you know, or, or maybe it'll be obvious then. Um, but but my, my personal feeling based on the scripture is, is that he was uh, like Joseph, uh, like Moses, uh, like so many others in the Old Testament. He's a picture of Christ in, in a person. He's a type of okay. Christ. Uh, in a person, and and the uh, the scripture doesn't mention his genealogy, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he doesn't have one. Um, but the scripture yeah. doesn't mention it because the Holy Spirit left that out because it paints the type. You see, okay. so so that would be that would be my position on it. However, uh, I could understand, you know, if if uh, somebody wanted to to make the argument that they felt that uh, that Melchizedek was a, a Christophany or an Old Testament appearance, what that word means is uh, that term means is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. Which, by the way, every time God appears in the Old Testament uh, uh, in human form, uh, it's the Son. In other words, when he appears as the angel of the Lord, it is a pre-incarnate appearance of the Son. And those, those appearances, of course, cease with the incarnation of Christ in the New Testament. Or okay. the, the fourth person in the furnace in the book of Daniel. Yeah, exactly. Uh, one like the, I see one like the Son of Man. He says in, in, in that passage, mm -hmm. and so uh, so it's it's a uh, uh, fascinating fascinating subject. Melchizedek uh, certainly, uh, if he is in fact a, a type, um, that's no uh, demotion. 
and uh, and and uh, either way, uh, extremely uh, extremely fascinating character in the Bible. Yeah, yeah. Because he's so, not mentioned really like as doing anything else after that. No, that's it. Yeah, that's 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 his kind of uh, uh, soul appearance. Now. You know, when you look at it, he when you look at the passage, he he seems to be kind of a lasting individual. He doesn't seem to be a momentary. When we mm-hmm. see Jesus Christ appearing and the angel of the Lord appearing, he appears for a for a time, for a purpose. Uh, to Hagar, uh, for example, yeah. uh, uh, to Abraham uh, later, for example, for example. But but he always appears for a purpose, and he, and he doesn't uh, have a name other than the angel of the Lord. Angel of the and, Lord, yeah. Yeah, he doesn't have a, a societal role. This individual, Melchizedek, had a societal role too, in fact. He was king uh, of a specific place, uh, Salem, and some would try to make that you know, allegorical or metaphorical, but, but uh, perhaps uh, most likely Jerusalem. And he's also mm-hmm. serving as a priest, and so Abraham, who's kind of this uh, this warlord, if you will, at a time, um, you know, serving uh, beneath uh, uh, perhaps Melchizedek, and and or at least in in cooperation with him, living you know a nomadic life and probably dealing with a lot of different kings of city states. Uh, he he goes and and he pays him uh, a tithe of the spoil that he that he had he had brought back, and actually that tithe wasn't for Melchizedek; it was. It was ultimately going to God because he was God's representative. Yeah. Okay. So I, okay. I hope that I hope that helps you out. Of course, uh, ultimately, you, you know, you have to look at the evidence and and come to the best conclusion that you can. But I, I think that uh, that believers, this is one of those things that that they can have a different opinion about and and still be within the pale of orthodoxy. Yeah, because the thing that was like, I guess, getting me was. Where I was getting stuck is where it, in Hebrews where it says, you know, he had no mother, he had no father, no genealogy, no no birth, no end, you know, no end of his life or no birth Beginning of his life. Beginning of days. So that's, yep. Yeah. And so that's where I was, like, getting confused. So I was like, but well, it says he doesn't have a beginning. Yeah. Well, and, and, and if you read the passage carefully, you know, it, it, in, in Hebrews— he, what he's doing is is he's citing he he's referencing the passage in Genesis where there is no record of that so it it doesn't preclude the fact that he he didn't necessarily have parents and that he didn't have a birth date and a date which he died it, the point is is that the text doesn't record that and so in that sense he's a type of Christ because he he appears as this eternal figure right okay. and 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 so in the sense of a type he fits the type perfectly. Whether or not in real life, you know, I mean, uh, uh, in real life, uh, if he was a person, of course, he would have had those things. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So, so you know, it's it's uh, it, it's one of those things where you know we 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 can look at it. We can clearly we can clearly say that 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 he is pointing to Christ and that and that uh, Jesus Christ is a priest forever, according to that order of Melchizedek. Uh, that Melchizedek is a type, really, of the priesthood of Christ. And so, yeah. you know, when we look at it that way, uh, we, we, we can understand it. What the exact details are, well, you know, we can't be as, as, as um, you know, dogmatic about that because, um, you know, quite frankly, we don't have enough information. Okay. Okay? All right. Yep. That helps. 
Yeah, kids. you know, I, it, no, great question. And uh, like I said, I didn't hear the discussion yesterday, but uh, uh, yeah, on the topic. So, but I'm glad you called because uh, I enjoyed it. Like I said, this is one of the more fascinating uh, parts of the Bible. So appreciate. Yeah. I'm glad we got you on the air, Liz. I know. Thank you so much. <laughs> hey, you bet. Appreciate you calling, folks. God bless uh, three, you. Yep, you too. 303-690-3000. Jason Vandiver here with you on Calvary Live. Let's go to Troy in Colorado Springs. Troy, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. I appreciate you calling. Hey, my question is about, like, where does uh, pre-tribulation uh, doctrine come from? Post-tribulation, mid-tribulation. Where does all that come from in the Bible? Yeah, so Go ahead. Oh, um, well, up until about a week ago, I was thinking, you know, pre-tribulation, you know, must be the right thing. But I was talking to a friend of mine in Bible study. Yeah. And he was like, have you ever seen, um, now I can't remember what it's called. But he was asking me if I'd ever read this document or whatever. It basically talks about Christ coming back, like right now or at any time. Mm Mm-hmm. Which I know is possible, right? But, um, yeah, I was just kind of curious on where where those come from. Yeah, well, so there's okay. Let's talk about the end times uh, in terms of um, you know the different uh, different views that are out there. Um, so pre-trib and mid-trib and post-trib by the way, are not all of the the views that are there. I won't spend a lot of time on the other ones because your question really concerns what are known as the futurist views. And of the the futurist views, um, there are essentially three options, uh, pre-tribulational, mid-tribulational, and post-tribulational. There there are other views out there. There are are historist views of of Bible prophecy. There are the spiritualist views of Bible prophecy. Uh, There is the uh, uh, preterist view, uh, which which uh, unless you're really a partialist, partial preterist, you, you have really a heretical idea of, of the end times. Uh, but uh, amongst the futurist views, uh, you're dealing with pre, mid, and, and, and post-tribulation. Now, what that refers to, as you have probably recognized and come to realize, is uh, that refers to the rapture in relationship to the tribulation. So in other words, right. when will the rapture take place when will believers be caught up to be with the lord will it be just before will it be in the middle uh, or will it be after the end of the great tribulation period and so what we have to do is different people take different passages of the bible by the way all three of those views uh are are you know good christians hold those views um but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't strive to discover what is the best view because you see what we believe has consequences to the way that we live and and especially what we believe about the return of Jesus Christ. Now, let me just, uh, uh, you know, kind of 
couch all of this and, and classify this a little bit further, you've also heard of pre-millennial, uh, post-millennial, and amillennial. Those refer to the other part of Jesus' return. There's the, the part where he comes and we meet him in the air. That's the rapture of the right. church. But then there's his return uh, to earth to set up his kingdom. The premillennialists, so a pre-tribulationalist is tip, typically going to be a premillennialist. They're going to say that Jesus is going to return to earth after the great tribulation to set up his kingdom uh, on earth, his thousand-year reign. A post-millennialist is saying that, you know, basically we're going to uh, usher in the kingdom and Christ will return at the end of that period of time. And amillennialist says there, amillennialist, uh, there is no literal Millennium. So that, those are the different views on that. Uh, in in a nutshell, these obviously can you know we could go on all day about e- e- each one of these. So now, when you go to First Thessalonians chapter four, that's one of the 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 fundamental passages uh, on the rapture of the church. And so in 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 First Thessalonians chapter four. He says, uh, uh, for this we say to you uh, by the the word of the Lord, uh, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. That word caught up, is the word that is translated uh, in Latin, uh, rapturos, which is where we get the English word rapture. In the Greek, it's, it's uh, harpazo. And so, right. so, so that's where the, the, the concept of, uh, uh, of the rapture comes from, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, uh, 16 and 18. So the question is, is, is then you begin to go to other passages, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Second uh, Thessalonians, you get into chapter two, uh, you get into the timing uh, of the rapture. When we get into uh, Revelation chapter four, uh, we see that after the letters to the seven churches, we no longer see the church on earth, uh, but we do see the church represented in heaven there by the, uh, in part by the twenty-four elders casting their crowns at the feet uh, of the Lord, saying, singing, you have redeemed us uh, from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Uh, of course, casting those crowns, those rewards uh, before the Lord. So when we, when we look at the scripture and we begin to piece together the timing, I believe that the best understanding of the timing of the rapture is prior to the tribulation. Uh, there, there's been a book around for years. There's probably other versions of this now. Uh, the, uh, uh, the, the mid-tribulation is sometimes called pre-wrath rapture. Uh, there was a book a while ago called, Mar- many years ago, uh, Marv- uh, Marvin Rosenthal, I think, pre-wrath rapture theory. Uh, and then, mm-hmm. of course, there's post-tribulationists uh, in abundance uh, uh, who believe that that Jesus Christ is going to uh, rapture the church and that the church is going to go through the great tribulation. The problem is, is that um, that that those that that believe that we're going to to go through the great tribulation period. Um, have a fundamental misunderstanding of the purpose of the tribulation. 
Um, the, the purpose of the tribulation is not to test believers. It's the outpouring of God's wrath on unbelievers. Revelation chapter 6, verse 17. The great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand. So, so uh, and, and we see in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, this argument over and over that, that God uh, spared uh, his people from that wrath, that he knows how to deliver them. And the example of, uh, of Noah and uh, a lot and, and, and others in Scripture. So I believe that when you, when you take particularly First and Second Thessalonians, when you take uh, the context and the chronology of the book uh, of Revelation, uh, that, that uh, uh, when you look at the words of Jesus uh, in the Olivet Discord in Matthew, uh, chapter 25 there, that, that the best interpretation is uh, a pre-tribulational rapture or a rapture just prior to the Great Tribulation period uh, beginning. Now, the Great Tribulation period, the first three and a half years, are a period of relative peace. Uh, so, so, you know, but I would believe that the rapture still would take place before that because Paul argues in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 there that the, that the restrainer, which is the Holy Spirit working through the church, needs to be removed out of the way before the, the man of sin can, can be revealed. And, okay. and, of course, and, of course, the Antichrist has to be revealed and rise to prominence and establish his covenant with Israel, and the temple is rebuilt all in the first three and a half years uh, of the tribulation. And, by the way, all of that is, can happen any time. Right. You know, it, it's, oh, you know the one thing, that uh, verse that, you know, that I, I can't remember where it's at, but mm -hmm. it says that we're going to suffer for our, our faith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so... Like right now, I know things are kind of rough, and I know that in other parts of the world there are Christians who are being persecuted for their faith. Right. Well, but, Jesus, go ahead. Um, yeah, I just, you know, that's the part that's catching me. Um, you know, I, uh, I'm expecting to be persecuted for my faith, but right. Well, um, and or why should I not if other people are? You know. Yeah, and, and and so the the question then that one has to to address when we say you know that that believers are going to suffer and 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 of course we see many times in scripture and and every believer in their life is is going to suffer to some degree. Jesus said, uh, "In this world you will have tribulation, uh, yeah. but uh, be of good cheer. Uh, I have overcome the world." John sixteen verse thirty three, but. The difference is, is that when he's talking about tribulation, there is a distinction in the scripture between trial and tribulation and the period uh, of, of uh, Jacob's trouble, uh, as it's also called the period of, of the great tribulation, which is a specific period of time. Uh, uh, Jesus said, uh, unless those days, tribulation like the world has never seen, unless those days be shortened, no one would survive. And so it's, it's clearly an unprecedented tribulation. But I would, I would agree with you in this sense that as believers, uh, we're going to be tried, we're going to suffer. Uh, you know, right now in places, they're, they're suffering in, in, in places like the Sudan. Even in this country, uh, it, believers uh, going through very difficult things uh, right now for their faith or just suffering. I, I, I think of the different things that believers have suffered because of things like wildfires and hurricanes. And, and so not just 
just spiritual persecution, but things that, that believers, you know, the death of loved ones, the, the uh, physical uh, uh, toll that life takes. So there's all kinds of suffering, uh, and that's right. what I believe Jesus was, was, was referencing. And so, okay. but, di- but different than the, the Great Tribulation. Okay, Troy? Okay. Hey, I hope that helps you. I'm going to have to unfortunately break it off here because we we got a break coming up. Okay, but uh, uh, hopefully that uh, hopefully that helps uh, uh, provide a, a little bit of additional insight for you on the subject. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you calling and 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 talking uh, about it. So God bless you, my friend. And uh, Thank you. folks, if you're uh, on hold, do me a favor and continue to stay on the line because we got a whole other half. Uh, of the show here on Calvary Live. We're going to get to you. And if you want to join me on the program, 303-690-3000, that is the number to call. Jason Vandiver here on Calvary Live. And as I said, that number, 303-690-3000. And if you're on hold, we'll be right back. We're going to get to you. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. And we're back here on Calvary Live. Jason Vanderveer here with you. Great calls in the first part of the program and looking forward to some more in the bottom half of the program here. Let's go to Sarah. Uh, Sarah, welcome. Sarah from Aurora, Colorado. Welcome to Calvary Live. Thank you very much. I have two questions. Okay. They're both related to the Easter story. Okay. The first one is about Mark 16, 9. I believe that's the right passage. It says that Mary Magdalene, was she saw the risen Christ first. Mm-hmm. Yes. And when I have tried to put the four Gospels together in a play, because I'm working mm-hmm. on making a play, Yep. Uh, I have a really hard time understanding how to coordinate all that. And then when I was doing some research, it said that the early manuscripts did not use that verse, that that particular verse about Mary. And I was like, oh, that saves the day. So I was curious if you... Yeah, yeah, I I think that's an oversimplification of an issue. Anytime, here's what I would encourage you. Anytime when someone says um, the early manuscripts didn't use that text... Um, I would be suspicious of of that simple of a statement. In other words, mm-hmm. it, it's um, uh, let me let me just give you some more information, and, and and I think you'll understand what I'm saying. So there are basically two families of text that that your Bibles are translated from. If if you read from uh, a, a New American Standard Bible uh, or an NIV. Um, or some of the uh, a few of the other translations, you're you're reading from a, a, a translation that comes from a group of texts known as the Alexandrian uh, group of texts. Um, those texts are some of the oldest texts that we have found. They're they're obviously not the original text, but they're some of the oldest texts that we have found. Now, if you're reading from the uh, King James, uh, New King James, um, you're uh, reading from the the uh, what is known as the majority text. So the argument is age 
over uh, preponderance. In other words, uh, some of the older text versus the abundance of the text. You see what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. so when a translator chooses to, to translate the Bible, they have a choice to make. Am I going to use what I believe to be, pre- uh, what I know right now to be some of the oldest texts that we have in possession? Uh, or am I going to use, come from a group of texts where I have an abundance of copies of those texts and they were circulating widely throughout the world? You can make arguments for both. So to just say that the oldest texts don't have it is, is not accurate because, number one, we don't have the oldest texts. We just have what are the oldest texts to us right now. And those texts typically omit sometimes certain verses, uh, passages in Mark, uh, part of 1 John. There there are a few others, and and they're minor to the story. And by the way, these two groups of texts, no one should get the wrong idea. The story is the same, and and 99% of it is, is, is the same. But there are some little things like this that, that uh, you know, if you're looking and digging deeper, they can be important. So uh, mm-hmm. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't take that out. What, what I would recommend that you do is, is something that I did uh, several years ago uh, when I was uh, putting together a, a, a chronology uh, of, uh, of the Russian the, the, the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ. And so, um, you know, I did, uh, basically I went through, you, this was uh, when technology was <laughs> a lot more limited. You can do this in a lot more technologically advanced way now. You can cut and paste. But this was, um, I'm dating myself a little bit, this was before, you know, cut and paste was, was really as easy and, you know, word processing, everything was great. So what I did was I copied all the passages in my Bible. I photocopied them. And Mm -hmm. then I literally cut them and pasted them (laughs) out of my photocopies and I lined them up, uh, in, in like, uh, on a paper, uh, from top Mm -hmm. to bottom, vertically side by side, paralleling the accounts so that I could piece them together where they fit. And I would suggest mm-hmm. that, that you go through that exercise. Uh, like I said, now you can do it uh, electronically. And you'll begin to, to get a picture uh, of the flow of, of how these things uh, fit together. Let me also give you a great resource, a book, um, that will help you do that better. It's a book that's been around for, for a long time. Um, it's called Chronological Aspects. Chronological Aspects of the Life of Christ. And it's uh, by Dr. Harold Honer, H-O-E-H-N-E-R. Fabulous book that uh, anybody right now, if you're listening to me, you will never regret buying this book. It will be a book that you go back to year after year to look things up uh, from the 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 year of the birth of Christ to uh, the, the date and timing of his death and resurrection and including the sequence of events of the Passion Week. So I encourage you, uh, go to Christian CBD or Amazon or, or anywhere online. You can probably either get an electronic uh, or a paperback copy of that for a very inexpensive price. Chronological Aspects of the Life of Christ. He goes into great detail uh, of the... Uh, the, the Passion Week, and the events of the resurrection. Uh, whom, to whom Jesus appeared to and how those pieces uh, fit together with the, 
the, the, the different pieces of information that the different gospel writers give us. And mm-hmm. when, you, when you look at that, it fits together uh, really well. When you, when you start to begin piecing it together, you realize it's not a matter of conflicts. It's a matter of additional no. mm-hmm. information that, that, right. the sto- that the story uh, gives us. Mm-hmm. Okay, does, does that help, does that you, help so you a little bit on, the first, on your first question? Yes, uh-huh. okay. it does. And okay. then the second question is about the napkin that Jesus folded. Yep. I have heard that that had significance, and then I looked it up, and there was all this controversy, and I couldn't decide yes. which person to believe. So I was curious if you had uh, insight on whether or not that meant something. Um, what I had heard was that it uh, was saying that he would be back. He folded his napkin because the Jewish tradition was supposed to be that if the master folded the napkin, the servant knew they would be back. If they wadded it up and threw it on the table, then that was the idea that he was finished and they could clean the table. Yeah, no, that's so that's uh, uh, just not um, not accurate. Uh, The the explanation that is there because it fails to um, take into consideration what the text is saying in the in the original language. Um, in John chapter 20, uh, one of the places um, that, that uh, we read about uh, in, um, in verse 7 there, it, it, it talks about uh, uh, the, uh, the, the, the facial cloth and then the, the, the cloth that was uh, on Jesus' body. And, and there's very distinct uh, words that, that are used there. Uh, in, like I said, in John chapter 20, verse 7, it says the handkerchief, that, that's New King James language. Napkin mm-hmm. is, I think, the old King James terminology, same thing, that had been uh, around his head. It wasn't lying with a linen cloth, but it was folded together uh, in a place by itself. Um, yeah. And then we we read elsewhere that that the uh, clothes that were on his body were were outstretched. The the words that are used in the Greek um, reveal that his body was never unwrapped. So mm-hmm. what what happened was is that you what was so uh, fascinating to um, you know to Peter and to John when they looked in the tomb was that the body of Jesus left the uh, burial cloths um, without the burial cloths being unwrapped. That's, right. what the, that's what the text communicates uh, to us in the Gospels. So it's, as, it, 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 it's, it's not as though it's what happened. The body of mm-hmm. Jesus rose through True. the cloths, yeah. mm-hmm. and, and they just they just settled in place where they were uh, at, at, as when they were wrapped about his body, but without the body any longer from within to support them. That's, mm-hmm. that's how the text uh, communicates us, it, it to us. So it has significance, just not the significance that, that whatever you had been reading was leading you to believe. Yeah. Does, does but that I had sense? heard that in a message as well, so that was, what was like, mm, I don't know. And yeah. um, so the napkin portion doesn't have any significance at all um not not in the sense that that uh that you had had been that it had been told to you at least in or what you read it has significance mm-hmm. um in a supernatural sense in that that's not possible unless the body that was inside was was transformed well, the, and resurrected 
Right. I totally get the clothing that was wrapped around his body. Was there anything special about the napkin that was folded separately from those clothing? Well, from well see, that, that's, that, see, that's the thing. Both, both when you look at it, both uh, communicate the same idea. The other term yeah. that is, is okay. used outstretched and, and the uh, verse 20 Verse seven, or chapter twenty, verse seven, uh, where it talks about the uh, the the napkin was about his head and not lying with the linen cloth. Uh, in other words, it was it, they're two separate yeah. pieces. Of course, the shroud of Turin, for example, is one piece, so you know that that's not it's a fraud. Um, but the word there for for folded is uh, is wound, wrapped. It's not folded. Um, folded is mm -hmm. a bad is not a good translation of that. It, 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 it's uh, a better, in the New King James, I think it says folded. In the Old King James, it says wrapped together. And that's, mm. rat, rat, I would even leave out the together. The, the word there is wrapped in, in, in the Greek. That's what it means. And so uh, that does have significance because obviously the departure of yeah. Jesus from, from the grave clothes is supernatural then at that point. Mm -hmm. and, that's, and that's what, what really blew uh, minds, yeah. yeah, it blew their minds when they looked at that. So, so I'd say, yeah, that has a ton of significance. It just doesn't have the significance, perhaps, that right. that author was trying to suggest. And are you saying that the headcloth wasn't necessarily away from the rest of it? Yeah, no, it would have been. It, 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 the only thing that's implied in the text is is that they weren't one piece, which which is yeah. it, which is uh, if you look at first century tombs and burials, uh, a one piece shroud would have been unusual for that period of uh, of time. So, so this is perfectly uh, uh, mm. characteristic of of a burial. Um, typically, what they did was they would wrap the face. Uh, and then they would wrap the body to kind of, uh, especially if they were doing it in haste as they were, uh, uh, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, of Arimathea uh, wrap the body to kind of keep it constituted and together. And then later on, the women would have, well, they were planning to come, unwrap his body, uh, prepare it with spices, and then rewrap it more uh, completely. But they often, mm -hmm. you know, would wrap the legs and, and the arms and everything to kind of keep the body together. Uh, and then mm -hmm. they would wrap the head separately. That, that, that's mm -hmm. what, uh, there's been thousands of, of Jewish tombs, uh, first century Jewish tombs excavated. And so there's a lot of evidence as to, uh, as to you know, what, what the method at this time of, of preparing a body was. Okay. And the right, text fits that. So yeah, you bet. So it's fascinating, uh, and uh, yeah. and 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 I encourage you to pick that up. Chronological aspects of the life of Christ. Um, it's not an enormous uh, work, but it is um, very helpful. Great, I will definitely do that. Thank you okay. so much for your time. You bet. God bless you, Sarah. Mm -hmm. You too. Bye bye. Bye bye. Folks, you're listening to Calvary Live. Jason Vanderveer here with you. 303-690-3000. If you want to join us uh, on the program here, uh, I'm I'm the pastor, for those that are wondering, uh, uh, of Calvary Chapel Parker. You can get more information about us, calvarychapelparker.com. You can join us tonight, 7 o'clock, as we continue verse by verse through 2 Samuel. But right now, let's take more calls. Let's go to Jim in Alt, Colorado. Jim, welcome to the program. Hey Jim, how you doing? Did we lose uh did we lose Jim? 
we must have uh, lost Jim. Jim, if you're listening, uh, we'd welcome you back uh, on the program. Just give us a call back, 303-690-3000. Just before I, I move on, do we have Jim? No? Okay, let's go to Estella uh, in Denver. Do we have Estella? Hi, Estella. Are you there? Well, sounds like we uh, do. We we have a bill. Let's go yes, to Bill. Uh, do we have Bill? Bill, welcome to the program. Thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. Third time's a charm. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. I do have a question. Um, fasting. Um, I understand what it means in the Bible. Uh, um, it has an impact. Uh, and we, some of us struggle with it, some of us don't. Now, my question, I always struggle with it, and it was hard for me to do it. Um, but my question is, I'm actually in an inter- intermittent fasting now, mm-hmm. but it has nothing to do with biblical. This is something that I've been researching, and I, I, I picked up on this, and it, it, I'm doing it for health reasons. But now I'm actually fasting, uh, sometimes it's a 16-hour period, sometimes it's a 20-hour of fasting, mm-hmm. and but it, I'm doing it for health reasons. Now, my question is, if I, um, since I'm doing it this way and I am fasting, is that is that the same? Would I have the same impact that I would? Well, so uh, in a biblical sense. Well, uh, I would say probably not, because what we see, in order for there to be a spiritual impact, fasting needs to be coupled with prayer. In fact, uh, the, in fact, the real purpose of, of, of fasting is is that is is that we we couple it with prayer, and and we discover um, in the Old Testament uh, we see Ezra uh, praying and fasting, Nehemiah praying uh, and fasting, many others praying and fasting. We see Jesus encouraging in the New Testament that that certain things. Um, in one instance, a, a, a certain demon couldn't be cast out uh, without prayer uh, and fasting. So, so fasting is is typically coupled in prayer. And 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 what happens when we fast is is that um, it, it's not it's not necessarily uh, you know there's a lot out there right now the 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 health benefits uh, of fasting, um, but that's not really what it's about uh, in Scripture. What it's about in Scripture is is that it's about the the flesh um, being relegated to to uh, to a lesser position and the spiritual man being elevated. Thus, his prayers take on a new intensity, a new fervency, and and you pray even in a different way and learn to pray and actually do uh, begin to pray in a different way. And, and then you really unleash uh, the power of God to, to work in a particular situation. And so that's why we often see fasting uh, coupled with prayer. And it's something that, that all believers, uh, uh, assuming their, their health will allow it, uh, and most people's uh, it, it usually will, uh, should, should uh, make fasting coupled with prayer uh, a part uh, of their life and and it's uh but it's not the same as as the the different types of fasting that are done uh either for health reasons or even now by athletes uh trying to accomplish or uh, achieve a certain result because when we when we fast and and when we pray something spiritual happens i'd, I'd liken it like this you know you have uh you you have two dogs in your yard 
uh, and and one is the spirit and and the other is the flesh and the one that you 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 feed is the one that's going to win the one that's going to rule the yard okay so okay. when you when you fast you're not feeding the flesh that 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 dog that is the flesh you're you're saying hey you're not going to get everything you want whenever you want uh, and you then are praying and and feeding and nourishing the spiritual man, and he begins to be strengthened. And then uh, his prayers even take on uh, his life uh, uh, goes in a different direction. So, so it's a really important practice, but it should be coupled with with prayer uh, in yeah, a biblical I, in a biblical sense. I'm, I'm sorry, I, I understand that, but I, I mean, I do I do spend my time. There's a time that I spend in study and in prayer. Sure. My question is. Um, when I'm when I'm studying and when I'm praying, I'm already in a fasted mode. So if I wanted to pray and fast, as a, you know, to do it in a biblical sense, I'm already fasting. So you understand where do I stand? Well, I I guess I don't understand the the, the question then. If if you're saying that that you're you're fasting on a regular basis and and you're praying, um, then you are doing it in a biblical sense. So I'm not yeah. really sh- I'm, I'm not sure I understand the distinction. Okay, well, all right. Well, let me let me let me say it this way. Um, basically, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be fasting. I'm gonna incorporate this into my everyday living mm-hmm. uh, of fasting. But if let's say I I wanted to fast and pray in a biblical sense, I'm already in a fasted state. So I mean, I can't fast any more than I'm fasting now. Well, if you're, are you fasting for a different reason? What, 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 well, what is, yeah. okay. If I, if I wanted to fast in a biblical sense, I'm, there's nothing different than I can do that I'm going to do that I'm doing now because I'm already fasting. Yeah. Let, let me, let me just put it this way. Um, because I, I think that there's, uh, I, I, I think you're, you're doing your best to communicate with me for whatever reason. I'm not understanding the distinction that you're trying to make. And, and I apologize for that. Um, okay. but, but let me just say this: If if you're fasting, in other words, uh, you're you're depriving yourself of you know of food for a period of time, whether it's you know half a day, a full day, a week. Uh, some people even do longer periods uh, uh, of fasting. If you're if you're fasting uh, and you're doing that for a spiritual reason, and you're incorporating with that uh, prayer and seeking the Lord, you're doing it in a biblical sense. You know, there's okay. there's not there's not something more to it than that. Okay, okay. So, uh, I, I I understand. Maybe maybe I, I didn't present this the right way. My, well, fast, it was my probably fast, my fault. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's only a four hour. It's a 20, I'm fasting twenty hours and, uh, and eating four hours. Now, if I wanted to do it in a biblical sense, I guess I would just do it eat not eat for an entire day, or maybe not eat for three days. Would that be the difference? Well, well, no, I, I, I think that, that you can say, I'm going to fast for four hours and pray. Um, I would encourage you, though, um, you know, maybe do, if you're going to do a fast, maybe do a minimum of like a 12-hour fast, like a, like a one-day fast. Because here, here's what you find, you know, four hours, um, you, you're, um, there's a sense in which the, the physical man needs to, to really realize uh that he's not going to get all that he expects and all that he wants right and that really starts to kick in at about four or six hours 
Okay. Right. So, so four, six, eight hours is when you really start to feel that. It actually gets easier um, after a certain period of time, um, but the first part of the day is usually the hardest. So, so you know, to I, I think you know a one day fast would um, would would be well. Maybe a, you know a twenty four hour fast and and right. and you know take that time to pray. And of course, you know you can most people when they fast they still drink water and. Uh, you know, keep themselves hydrated, but they just go without food. So, so uh, you know, maybe start out if you're if you're healthy and and you know you don't have uh, other health conditions. If uh, as always, you know, I don't want to give anybody advice to fast. It, you know, if you have diabetes or or you know blood sugar issues or other health issues that that would put you in danger to do that, you need to talk to your doctor about it. But if you're a reasonably healthy person, uh, a one day fast to start out is not going to hurt you. A 24 hour period. Uh, fast and and take that time to pray. If you're just saying, you know, I'm going to uh, uh, fast for for a period of, of four hours, you know, that that that's becoming popular. In other words, you do all your eating in a in a certain window, and then you don't eat in other windows. Um, that that probably isn't going to have the same effect um, because you're you're just kind of um, teaching your body a little bit different uh, thing about your eating habits um, and you're, you're probably not getting to that point where you're going to get the physical effect uh, of it. Um, so, so you know, I would suggest maybe changing that up a little bit. Okay, great, great. Thank okay. you so much I, for your time. I apologize. I understand your question now. I just wasn't, uh, I, I wasn't listening very well. My apologies. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. Thank, thank you for <laughs> taking my call. You bet. I appreciate you calling, Bill. God bless you. Bye-bye. God bless you. Three zero three six nine zero three thousand is the number to call, and uh, you know we had some folks earlier. I don't know if we've got any of those uh, folks back. Looks like we we've lost Jim, but we do have uh, uh, nope. We lost Jim and we lost Estella, but looks like we have Cheryl uh, in Denver. Cheryl, welcome to the program. Thank you. How you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing really well. Well, welcome. We've got just a few minutes left. What what can we do for you? Um, I have a question. I work in the medical field. I'm a nurse, and okay. I have to. I'm required to give injections to people that are transitioning sex. Mm-hmm. And yeah. because I am uh, a child of God, is that not an ethical thing? Yeah. To participate in. Well, you know, uh, this is one of those things you you don't think of until it's you, right? Until you're the one that's that's faced with a, a, a dilemma like this, and it was bound to happen sooner or later by injections. I, I assume you mean hormone injections, or yes, exactly. So, so someone's transitioning. Uh, they're they're biologically male. Uh, they self-identify as a female, and therefore they're they're uh, receiving female hormones and vice versa, right? And so it's 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 the responsibility of someone like yourself to administer those injections. Is that is that a, a for all of our listeners? That's that's basically what's going on, right? Right, and I can barely hear you. Yeah, I'm having trouble. I, I don't know if you're. Uh, it sounds like I'm getting a lot of wind. Uh, I don't know if you're driving. Um, so I'll do my best to to speak up so that you can hear me uh, as well as you can. But um, uh, basically, you know, I mean, uh, uh, what I, I, I just, the only thing I could do is put myself in your position. You know, if I was in the medical field um, and, and I was responsible for, for doing something that, that I believe went against uh, my conscience, then I would no longer do that. 
And if I was in, in your position, uh, I would feel as though, um, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, you, you, can, you may feel entirely different, but, but, but I would feel as though, and this is how I feel about the whole issue of transgenderism, is, is that, is, is that is, it's an affront to God. In other words, it's it's saying that that in a sense, in some way or another, that that either God made a mistake or that God doesn't exist and it's random. It's not it's not defined. When in reality, the only one that's mistaken is is the individual. And oftentimes, a lot of these uh, individuals go on later to regret uh, a lot of the changes permanent changes that they have made uh, to their bodies. So, so I, I see the whole issue as really an affront to God, and I, I wouldn't want to somehow participate uh, in that any more than in the medical field I would want to be involved in, you know, in an abortion or uh, in physician-assisted suicide or any one of the other medical dilemmas. So I think that this is, is right up there with those dilemmas. And so uh, for me as, as an individual uh, and my conscience, I, I wouldn't want to take part in that. Um, and so uh, what, I would, what I would do is either, number one, if my employer would let me uh, opt out of, uh, for, for uh, my beliefs, uh, not administering those, then I would do that. Otherwise, um, you know, I would have a responsibility to to find a, a, a different uh, area uh, of specialty in the medical field. Okay, right. Cheryl. That that would be that would be my recommendation. You should pray about it and and do what the Lord tells you to do. Okay. Thank you. Okay. God uh -huh. bless you. God bless you. I appreciate you calling, and and uh, and I'm going to pray uh, for you right now as we close the show, Father. Uh, I just lift up Cheryl to you, and I just pray that you'd give her wisdom. Uh, I pray that you'd give her direction. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd give her strength and that you would just take her forward in holiness and faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Folks, you've been listening to Calvary Live. We'll be back tomorrow uh, taking more calls and questions about the Bible and Christianity, prayer requests. Uh, appreciate uh, all of you. Great questions, great conversation this afternoon. Good night, and uh, God bless you. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's Word.